The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. And welcome to the Patrick Henningsen Show. Today, Friday, the 16th of February, 2024. I am Basil Valentine. In for Patrick today and quite possibly next week as well. He is in Acapulco where they have problems with the internet. So I am reliably informed. Anyway, we've got a fascinating program for you today. In a few minutes, I will be joined by Dr. Yasser Khan, a real life hero. He is a Canadian surgeon who has just returned from Gaza where he has witnessed some of the most horrific scenes imaginable. You're going to need a strong stomach for this one, but we don't shy away from the truth here on TNT and bringing you information that the corporate media would rather was not in the public domain, lest it influence people's opinions about events in the Middle East. Also today, of course, most of the oxygen in the newsroom is taken up by the untimely death of Alexei Navalny, the Russian dissident. The UK Foreign Secretary David Cameron has predictably chimed in with a condemnation of Russia, saying that Vladimir Putin should be held accountable for Alexei Navalny's death. I wonder if he feels the same way about Rishi Sunak. Benjamin Netanyahu, Joe Biden, and the scores of thousands of deaths in Gaza. Probably not. Anyway, he said the Russian state under Putin fabricated charges, poisoned him, and sent him to an Arctic penal colony. Navalny fought bravely against corruption, says Cameron. Putin's Russia fabricated charges. Putin should be held accountable for what has happened. No one should doubt the dreadful nature of his regime. Interesting that uh, Navalny's death coincides, of course, with the Munich Security Conference, where uh, heads of government and particularly defence ministers are gathering to plot the next steps towards World War Three or whatever else they've got in mind for us all. Uh, for his part, Rishi Sunak said Navalny had demonstrated incredible courage and Secretary of State Tony Blinken has said the reports of Navalny's death underscored the weakness and rot at the heart of Vladimir Putin's Russia. The death of course comes after uh, Tucker Carlson's visits to Russia last week uh, which seemed to portray anything other than weakness and rot. Um, so very interesting that he's died at this time. Russian state television announced that he died after feeling unwell following a walk. That's all they've said. He was 47. Simple fact is I have absolutely no idea how he died, but obviously at the age of 47, it is a premature death. There are lots of those at the moment, aren't there? So. I have no wish to speculate in conspiracy theories. Michael McCall, the Republican chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, said of Navalny, I hope that out of his death will come something to send a message to the world and to the American people about who Mr. Putin really is. Not to have this charm offensive that Putin is somehow a misunderstood man. His intentions are very clear to me. As a traditional national security conservative, McCall is at odds with MAGA Republicans loyal to Donald Trump, who The Guardian describes as a Putin admirer and who follow media figures like Tucker Carlson, whose softball interview broadcast from Russia together with his visit to a Russian supermarket, gave a rosy depiction of Russian life. Well, I don't see that there's anything wrong with a rosy depiction of Russian life if Russian life is indeed rosy. It obviously wasn't very rosy for Mr. Navalny, but I don't think uh, Tucker's point was to uh, get into the machinations of the of the Putin regime and who was in and out of favour. I mean, the Russians have always um, dealt, shall we say harshly, uh, with internal critics. Um, 
That was the case under the Soviets, but it certainly didn't stop us engaging in detente. And it was the detente of the 1970s and 80s that brought about the disarmament treaties that briefly in the 1990s looked like we might be living in a more peaceful and just world. But of course, events have unfortunately taken more than one dark turn since then. Uh, without further ado now, I'd like to bring on to the stage Dr. Khan, who joins us from Toronto. I'm extremely grateful to you for giving up your time, Dr. Khan. I know how busy you are, particularly this afternoon. So welcome to today's news talk. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, Dr. Khan, I wasn't particularly looking forward to this afternoon's interview. Please don't take that personally. But I know you have been in arguably you know, the most challenging situations imaginable by a human being, witnessing the most horrific scenes imaginable that we all hoped and believed we would not be seeing in the third decade of the 21st century in Gaza, particularly since these scenes are not the result of a natural disaster, but are entirely avoidable and the result of aggression by the Israeli regime. So uh, please fill us in, first of all, on uh, where you've been, how you uh, came to have this relationship with Palestine, and uh, then please feel free to tell us exactly what you've been doing. Well, I'm not. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm not um, Palestinian, but uh, like like many of us, like billions around the world, um, we've been following this, you know, um, live streamed uh, mass killing of of a, of a civilian population for the last, uh, you know, it, it's hard to say five months now. I used to say three months. I used to say two months. I used to say three months. Now it's five months, and. Um, and you know we've all watched. Uh, this is the first, uh, first sort of you know whatever you want to call it, plausible genocide, as the ICJ ICJ um, uh, calls it, or actual genocide, whatever the case may be. It's the first live stream genocide that 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 we've seen that, that I can remember live streamed. Most other events have occurred. You know uh, we found out how bad it was after it was all over. This has been live every day, and so I, I think. I've been a lifelong humanitarian. I've operated in about 40 different countries in the world in a, in a humanitarian fashion. I've taught surgery, done surgery, set up programs everywhere from Africa, Asia to um, um, to South America as well. And so it's just what I do, and it, it comes natural to me. I've never been in a really, really active war zone of this kind that was Gaza. And uh, spontaneously at the scrub sink at the hospital where I work at, uh, a surgeon approached me and the opportunity opened up. And I was surprised. This is in December. And I said, well, I didn't think they're letting people in. And he says, well, you know what? They are now. And uh, it's taken us months and months to organize this. But do you want to come? And I immediately said yes instinctively. I said, you know what? I'll say yes now. And then I'll go home and talk to my family and decide. But, but I can't say no. He goes, okay, well, you know what? I need your medical degree. I need your uh, passport and I need your blood type uh, just in case. And so I had that all on my phone. Actually, blood type I actually didn't have. I just guessed on what my blood type is, it's A, B or O. And I just guessed something. Um, I don't even know what my blood type is, believe it or not. And I, and, and I gave it to him and the rest is, and basically through a number of obstacles, I was able to make it uh, through Cairo. I flew to Cairo from, I, I reside in Toronto, Canada. I flew from Cairo. I flew to Cairo, and from Cairo, I went through the Sinai Desert to the Rafah border, and entered Gaza from there. And that's how this whole uh, humanitarian episode uh, happened. And I went with a group of about seven or eight surgeons of different kinds. So there's orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, you know, uh, general surgery, and things like that. And we all went together as a as a group. Uh, and when was this? When did you first arrive in Gaza? Yes, sir. This was um, this was basically um, arriving at. Um, uh, we arrived uh, in uh, just before New Year's, so I left December thirtieth and arrived um, December thirty first, and then I entered Gaza, and I was there till about January 9th or so. Okay, so th uh, three months of solid bombing for want of a better expression, yes. uh, yeah. had already taken place and much of Gaza was already levelled and thousands were already 
killed and mutilated by then. I mean, you know, I I, I must say I've 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 seen a lot, um, like I said, in a lot of places. But I mean, it was just I always say it was basically hell on earth. Um, the scenes I saw, I went into right into Khan Yunus, so I went from the from the uh, Rafa border uh, into into Khan Yunus. I drove at night. Uh, that's the only time, to be honest, that I feared my life because that's when the uh, Israeli forces will will bomb you, any car driving at night. So nobody travels after 4 or 5 p.m., right? And um, so these two guys from the NGO, uh, which was connected to the WHO and the local health uh, officials in, in Gaza, they picked me up in, in, an, uh, in, in a car that wasn't an ambulance. And I said, are you sure it's safe? They go, yeah, yeah, it's safe. Just trust. And, you know, Palestinians have a lot of trust in God. They go, just trust God. Just trust Allah and uh, it'll be okay. So, you know, I, I took a leap of faith. I said, fine. <laughs> so, so um, I um, I drove down and, and it was 20 minutes of, of driving in the night. There's no other car on the road. It was quiet. And I've never been more relieved to see the uh, emergency sign of a hospital because that's when I knew that we'd arrived at uh, the European hospital uh, in Khan Yunus, where at that point in time, the battle was happening quite actively. The Israeli army was about a kilometer away from, at that point in time, now it's closer, was basically a kilometer away from from, uh, uh, from the hospital. Um, and Rafa at this point in time was not being bombed. It was supposed to be the safe space, right? It is is, is from, from what the Israeli army called it at that time. And I'll tell you one thing, that everything I say right now, I, I want you to imagine it being now 10 times worse, right? Because I was there uh, over three weeks ago and it's now much worse. Right, so magnify everything by by ten times, uh, basically. And the first uh, first when I arrived, um, the first thing I noticed was this twenty four hour of humming of drones. Right, so the Israeli uh, forces have these drones uh, of all kinds in the air twenty four hours. So that's what they live with. They live with this humming noise twenty four hours, and it was deafening almost. And these are spy drones, uh, but many of them are also what they call the quadcopter drone, which is a weaponized drone that does the sniper firing uh, and kills people kind of mobily. And uh, people actually feared that. They didn't fear the spy drones, but they could tell the difference, I can't, between a quadcopter drone and, um, and uh, you know, a, uh, a spy drone. And, and so that was there. The other thing I noticed when I arrived was the bombing. There's bombs, whether it's a tank bomb or whether it's a missile dropping almost every few hours at that point in time. And you could hear it. And it felt like it's right next door to you because it would drop and the whole ground would shake. The whole uh, hospital structure would shake and you would feel it in your body. And um, that was my first experience when I arrived into, uh, into the European hospital. The hospital itself has been turned at that point in time, it's probably worse now, in, into a refugee camp. So people, I mean, the, uh, uh, the Palestinians, many of these people have been displaced five, six times already because Israel keeps on saying that's a safe zone, then they bomb the safe zone, which makes no logical sense in this day and age when, when a modern army of a modern state, especially if it's a third or fourth most powerful army in the world, Okay, tells you there's a safe space somewhere, go there and then start bombing that safe space. Or they sniper fire with drones or whatever, people going to that, migrating to that safe space. That makes no sense in the world. Like what kind of logical, moral army would do that? It makes no sense to me. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've never heard about that before, at least in my lifetime uh, that I've been on this uh, earth for and, and the history that I've studied. But I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm only a humanitarian and a physician. I can only say what I saw and and um, what I witnessed. So what I witnessed was uh, uh, the whole hospital, which is a modern hospital with, built with European Union funding, uh, very well built, mind you, very well. I was very impressed. I could look past the chaos and appreciate that it must have been a very well built hospital in its day, uh, you know, in its day before October 7th, right? Now it's a refugee camp. There's over 20,000 at that point. Now there's probably more, 20,000 people living in these makeshift shelters inside and outside the hospital. And there's no tents. Um, uh, you know, there's only, um, uh, you know, bed sheets and blankets and, and, and makeshift shelters because people think that they're relatively safe in here. Even though, as we know, in this war, 
uh, on Gaza, even the hospitals have not been safe, right? They've even attacked hospitals and evacuated hospitals and bombed it and sniper fired and all this kind of stuff. So we know that even hospitals, but they feel it is safe. And, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you get a mat. Uh, if you're not lucky, you get a carpet. Uh, if you're even less lucky, you get a sheet, a, a bed sheet. And uh, if you're really unlucky, you get the ground. And it was one, when I was there at that point in time, it was one to two degrees, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, right. which is- Celsius, so very cold. cold. It's very yeah, cold. People don't think and of it as being cold in the Middle East at all. No, uh, it, it's very cold. Uh, and that part of the whole region, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, you know, uh, Palestine, all that area is, is uh, you know, ha has the seasons. I mean, they have four seasons, right? They have, uh, you know, mm -hmm. fall and, and winter and summer and spring. Uh, you know, it's not like Saudi Arabia or the Gulf where there's two seasons or one season, right, basically. And so, I mean, you know, uh, uh, it, and it rains and there's puddle. So you're basically sleeping in a puddle of mud. Right. And now these are all people that had homes. Right. So they're homeless. Right. And they all had homes. And one thing that people uh, don't sometimes think about. And, and you know, I realized when, when speaking to the Palestinians when I was on the ground and, and you know, is that, you know, uh, for the longest time, the siege on Gaza is not since October 7th. Right. It's been there for decades and not even since uh, since 2007. It's been there for decades and decades. Right. They've lived in this concentration camp. Right. Where where everything that comes in and goes out is monitored and controlled. And sometimes the uh, Israeli authorities will kind of just arbitrarily say, well, you know what? We're for example, parsley, for some reason, is. Um, um, is there a break? Yes, there's a break. Okay. <laughs> I'm Basil Valentine. Great to have you with us, Dr. Khan. We'll be right back after this short break with the network. TNT's Darren Denslow. And another reason that the BBC get claimed was TB. It's the badgers. That's why farmers are protesting across Europe. And now the fishermen and the firemen and everybody else seems to be jumping on board of this Europe-wide protest. Uh, but here, the BBC are saying it's all to do with tuberculosis and badgers. Uh, quite interesting, uh, but there were a whole uh, tirade of farmer stories that have been published by the BBC over the weekend uh, when they had actually been remaining silent uh, for the last ooh, six weeks. In fact, it goes back into 2023 when the Dutch originally came out to protest. Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine, in for Patrick. And I want to go straight back to Dr. Khan. Uh, Dr. Khan, we were in the hospital. It's freezing. People are lying on the floor and anywhere they possibly can to uh, try and get some rest. 20,000 people crammed into the hospital and its environs. Please continue with your monologue. Um, yeah, so... Horrible situation. I mean, there is one bathroom for 200 people. So cool. you can imagine, um, you know, how bad it is. And like I said, I mean, as I said before, these are not homeless people. They had homes. And because of, of this decades, uh, decades long, not since October 7th siege by 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 Israel on, on these people of, of, of Gaza, I mean, they lived in a concentration camp. But even then, they made the best of it. They couldn't easily move out of it because everything that goes in and goes out is controlled very tightly uh, by the Israeli authorities. So, um, you know, so they put everything into their homes. Their homes were their castle, where their life was everything, right? And now basically most of their homes, 85 to 90% of their homes have been destroyed. Even once they've evacuated, 
the Israeli army has gone in. And, and, and you know, this is not stuff you can make up. I'm not making this up. You have to go to TikTok and see all the videos that the Israeli forces uh, and soldiers post, right? Um, and they want, these are empty homes that are just being detonated and, 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 and whole neighborhoods are being, uh, being detonated and destroyed, even though the people have already left. There's nobody there. There's no threat. There's nothing. So what's the real agenda here is, you know, is, uh, is, is one should always ask, why is everything? So about 80 to 90% of their civilization has been wiped out and flattened. Every, everything from their history, museums, their archives, uh, schools, universities, medical schools, uh, infrastructure, sewage pipes, water pipes, uh, the entire healthcare system, everything has been destroyed. So reason I say this is that it tells you that the tragedy that these people are dealing with and now to come and live like this was, was really hard for me to see. Um, it was, but, and when you go inside the hospital, again, there's thousands of people who've made shelters in the hospital. The hospital had about 250 beds, now has about 1,500 at the time. Now there must be thousands as all the other hospitals have been shut down or destroyed. There must be thousands now, uh, there now, but at that time there's about 1,500 patients, 1,000 to 1,500 patients. And basically there's no beds. So you see patients with major orthopedic uh, injuries with metal rods sticking out from their legs um, because of surgery lying on the floor mostly a young population i will add that mostly children uh, mostly people under 18 lying there with these rods from their arms and their legs and just in pain um everything is being blockaded uh and and controlled by israel or what comes in what doesn't come out there's there's hardly any pain medications uh there is no antibiotics uh you know or hardly any so these people are are, are, are getting infected because they're in unsterile conditions so if the initial bombing didn't um, didn't uh, you know uh, get the leg or amputate the leg, basically the infection will because in order to save their lives, when it gets infected, you have to cut the limb off. So either it's the arm, the foot, the hand, the legs are cut off, and so you know the the rate of amputations. I mean, I saw in just one day, I saw about fifteen amputations. 15 in one day, both legs, one arm, one foot, one hand. And in a young population, I mean, I'm an eye, I'm an eye plastic surgeon. So I took 10 eyes out because they're shattered by shrapnel. Um, I, I repaired multiple eye injuries because the shrapnel gets into the eyes because in an explosive situation, basically, uh, you know, you don't go like this. You, you don't cover your, your face because you don't know what's happening right in fact you open your eyes because it's the fight or flight response that nature or god has given us and um so their eyes are wide open and they get shrapnel all over their face in their bodies everywhere but also in their eyes so i saw shrapnel rip the eyes out of as young as a, as a two-year-old I, I did a two-year-old i did a six-year-old i did a 10 or 11 year old i did a 14 year old uh 16 year old right i mean innocent children who have now been scarred for life um and that's just in my time there right basil i mean that's just my time which is a short time this has been going on for them every day so so you know when when people question the numbers and say well that's too much or we don't believe those numbers of people injured or maimed well that's bs because in just a short time i with my own eyes witness hundreds that's just me one experience right you know so it's bogus that I mean, it, it's preposterous but even even by that argument, as a humanitarian, I asked them, I said, well, okay, you know what? Fine. Forget this. What number do you think is right? 100? Is 100 children dead good enough for you? Or, or, or um, sorry, justified? Okay, even if it's one child, is that justified? Right? So, you know, it was horrible. And, and what, what would happen, Basil, is that I was there and um, when the bombs would go off, the local emergency doctors and, and nurses by the way, who all spoke English. Many of them spoke English. They're very educated. There's, I think something like a 95% literacy rate in the Gaza Strip, which is amazing. Um, now all their schools are destroyed and bombed, um, you know, and uh, and, all, and all their culture is gone. But anyways, uh, and they said, you know what? Wait, wait 15 minutes and the mass casualties will start coming in. And that's where I saw the most horrific scenes that that... I never 
want to experience ever again in my entire life. Um, that's when I saw, because indeed they did come in. Um, they came in in huge numbers. I mean, they came in with, with a mother holding, just images now flash to my to my mind, mother holding her eight, nine-year-old um, um, uh, son screaming in the, in, in the mass chaos, screaming, uh, you know, for someone to check his pulse. He was cold and dead and skinny. Like, like they're all skinny. Uh, I mean, all these children have been starved. So there's like bones protruding, like there's no fat on them at all. And that's a characteristic of all kids. I mean, they're starving because again, food has been blockaded uh, from both the Rafa border and also the border on the, on the, on the Israeli side. And they're not letting food in, 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 in sufficient quantities that's needed. And so people are starving to death. Like literally they're dying because of starvation. So all these kids are thin and she's screaming around, running around and, and the baby's, sorry, the child is cold and dead. I mean, you know, in, in the ma if I can describe to you the mass chaos of what I saw when when a bomb occurs, right? Uh, there's people on the there there are people on the floor, uh, everybody's screaming. Uh, uh, people are covered with dust and rubble because homes there are made out of uh, uh, stone. Here, unlike in Canada, where they're made, made out of wood because you know of of the weather, but but they're all covered with rubble. There's shrapnel all over. There's limbs dangling. Uh, off uh, arms and 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 legs and people are screaming. There's babies and children on the floor with major head trauma being ignored because there's so much chaos. There's uh, there was doctors suturing what they could without anesthesia on the ground because there's no beds, and there's people with 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 that I saw with 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 abdominal injuries that I went through medical school. I'm not a general surgeon, but I've never seen before horrific abdominal. I mean, I don't even want to describe. Um, the injuries and what was coming out of those injuries, um, you know, and, and that was a mass scene. And that was basically just in my short time there. They're facing this every day and it's worse now, right? It was horrific. Not enough supplies, not enough gauze, not enough antibiotics. Often because the antibiotics were not there, they had these children and uh, people with soft tissue injuries, you know, and they had to douse it with alcohol. So then what would happen is that, and especially, I mean, having, you know, having kids, I mean, that what got to me the most is that you'd have these young girls and, and boys, eight, nine years old, they have a huge soft tissue injury and they're dousing with alcohol to sterilize. It doesn't get infected so that they don't have to lose the limb. And the child is screaming because if you can imagine, if you get alcohol on a cut, you know, it's painful, right? Like when you disinfect the, um, the cut, but they're just dousing it, uh, this massive wound, uh, taking over half the leg down to the bone. And they're kind of dousing with alcohol to just cleanse it and then put a bandage across it so that it doesn't get infected and the limb is not lost, right? So those are the scenes that I saw um, that will live with me for a long time and that I just don't ever want to see again, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, and all civilians, these casualties. This is, of course, what's worth remembering. Uh, and as far as the Israelis are concerned, uh, there is nobody innocent in Gaza at all. In fact, I've heard uh, an Israeli spokesman say just in the last 24 hours that everybody over the age of four deserves to be starved. The shortage of supplies is deliberate. Even so-called moderates in the Israeli regime like uh, Benny Gantz uh, are saying that humanitarian aid should be blocked and there are parties, uh, festivals of dancing Israelis at the border crossings doing everything they can to prevent aid from reaching Palestinians. Uh, one spokesman had the audacity to say we didn't supply Germany with humanitarian aid in the Second World War, so why should we supply uh, Palestine? Um, you know, People talk about an impending humanitarian disaster should Rafa be attacked, but the disaster has already happened. Even if the uh, atrocities and the onslaught stops now, this is the most egregious war crime of our lifetimes by a long, long way. And yet Netanyahu only today has been pushing back hard against the US vision or after the war and its cause for a Palestinian state. I mean, that it just absolutely beggars belief, Dr. Khan. Well, you know, um, 
you know, uh, it's it, it it has been a humanitarian crisis from from the beginning. Um, and and you're right. I mean, I mean, the bizarre thing, uh, Basil, about about this whole conflict is that the Israeli government and Israeli army has not hidden anything. Like they've openly, which is really bizarre, because they've openly made um, these statements that uh, that the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, said uh, have genocidal intent. They actually, many of these statements, the mild ones, um, at the ICJ hearing, they listed these statements that they made. So it's bizarre that their own government makes these statements of no aid. We're going to starve them. They're all animals. We're going to wipe Gaza out. We're going to kill everybody. Everybody is in Hamas. We have to kill women and children because it's it's all right. It's justified. The politicians have made these statements in the hundreds of statements. Ministers and the prime minister, everybody's made these statements. So it's bizarre. Like I've never, I mean, I've never encountered this where another army and government will make these statements that clearly, clearly calls out for wiping out a population and starving them to death. And it, and it's all on record. So that's been really bizarre. But basically, from a physician point of view, this has been a onslaught and in, intentional destruction of the healthcare system. Uh, it's yes. been it's been a methodical, methodical, thought out. Um, you know, intentional destruction of the healthcare system to to basically facilitate the a, a plausible genocide, uh, and uh, they basically uh, many of the hospitals, if not most of the hospitals, have been destroyed by either bombs or they've been detonated or they've been forcefully evacuated because people are still getting injured all over Gaza. Uh, some of the doctors and healthcare workers have tried to repopulate the hospitals after they've been abandoned with no power, but you have to treat the patients somewhere, right? The Israeli forces, uh, you know, based on, you know, and I was on the ground, right, uh, Basil, and and people spoke to me, and and doctors spoke to me, and and you know, and I saw things. So no one can argue that, you know, I experienced this, and I got this right from people on the ground, um, you know, in that as as doctors try and enter, uh, you know, these hospitals, these drones come, and 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 they're shot by shot at by sniper fire, and they're killed, right? Uh, just to prevent them from repopulating the hospitals. They've also bombed uh, the sewage pipes and the water, drinking water pipes. They know that many of these uh, 2,000 pound uh, dumb bombs that are weapons of mass destruction are not gonna get the tunnels, but they will get the infrastructure. And so you get sewage water mixing with drinking water. These people already don't have any water coming in right? So they have to drink toilet water because otherwise they'll die. I mean, when you're desperate of thirst, you'll drink anything. And so disease is rampant. I mean, cholera and typhoid is not far away, if not already there. Hepatitis A, because they also live in very, they also are living in very cramped quarters, is rampant, is epidemic. Uh, something like 2000% increase in gastrointestinal diarrheal illnesses. So you know, the other thing I, I will say is that there's about 10 to 15,000, probably more, bodies under the rubble, right? So now it's raining season in Gaza. So all these bodies are, uh, you know, are, are uh, the rainwater is leaching bacteria into the water system and all around where they are. So people are getting sick. So if the bombs are not going to kill you, uh, disease will 100%. And they know this. They have uh, One of their politicians called for epidemic. He actually made an open statement. It's bizarre that yes. we want them to go by epidemics. Like, who says that in this in, the, in this in this world? What kind of hu human being says that? I, I don't understand. Anyways, having said that, um, there's no antibiotics. They're malnourished, so they know that if you're malnourished, your immune system is is weakened, so you'll get sick. Uh, you don't have the antibiotics, and so the whole idea is that if we wipe out from what I was told in my discussions, if we wipe out the healthcare system, uh, then there'll be nothing to return to, right? So the sick, in order to get treatment, will have to leave the Gaza Strip because we want nothing there. And that's essentially what they've done. They have basically completely destroyed the healthcare system in every aspect from, um, from, from the cause of disease to the treatment of disease to the actual facilities that treat the disease. Yeah. We're going to take another short break now. Thank you very much, Dr. Yunus. We'll be right back in two minutes to look at what happens next with Egypt apparently preparing a refugee camp in the Sinai Desert. We'll be right back.
De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, we had the Super Bowl yesterday, and interestingly enough, people were bragging about the idea that the Super Bowl was powered by solar panels. Now, this is very, very interesting since the Super Bowl was at night, and you really can't store solar panel electricity, so how is that happening? Now, let's say there was some miraculous way we did store some of that energy from the solar panels during the day. By the way, there's been a lot of clouds around Las Vegas lately. In fact, it snowed south of Tucson. How do you like that for climate change? But let's say we could store that. How much of the Super Bowl was actually powered by those solar panels? This is typical of what goes on with these people. They make claims, they're unsubstantiated, they don't back it up, and if they do back it up, they don't give anyone a chance to actually look at the details of it. But that's typical of what's going on. As far as the result of the Super Bowl, I wasn't really paying attention because I was looking at the weather. You know why? Because I enjoy the weather. It's the only weather I've got. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi. And I already told you what you could do with the weather. Hi, I'm Abel. I often forget to mention that he's an amputee because Abel will try any activity he can. My arm helps me with basically everything. He doesn't see what he can't do, he sees what he can do. Yeah, okay. this is helping. The War Amps has just given him the ability to do all the activities every kid can do. When you donate to the War Amps, you help kids like me. Thank you. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. And welcome back to the program with me, Buzz Valentine, in for Patrick today, Friday, the 16th of February. Filippo Grandi, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, said today that an exodus of Palestinians into Egypt must be avoided at all costs. Uh, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Dr. Yasser Khan. Uh, Dr. Khan, uh, this is ethnic cleansing, isn't it? If the Palestinians leave Gaza, this is another war crime under international law to go with the genocide. Well, you know, I, I can comment on on the attack on the healthcare system and the killing of of doctors and healthcare workers and um, destruction, and that definitely is a is a is a war crime under international law. But as we've seen, um, no war crime is sacrosanct. You know. Um, it, it doesn't matter um, what what the crime they, they uh, you know what the Israeli army has shown is is really that that they don't they don't have from from what they've shown the evidence is there that they don't ha um, have any 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 constraints when it comes to that and so just just the healthcare system alone forget everything else of of their civilization which has been destroyed just just destruction of the healthcare system alone. And pushing them out is a way of ethnic cleansing. I mean, there's I don't know what other term to use. If you can, if you can, you know, there's no other term to use really. It is ethnic cleansing because you're basically cleansing a population that there's nothing. Uh, you destroy everything. If they're sick, they have to leave. There's nothing else. There's nowhere else to go. It's all rubble, right? Did you have to destroy all the hospitals? Uh, you know, a hundred of them. Did you have to destroy all the clinics? Did you have to kill those doctors? Did you have to destroy the infrastructure completely? And did you have to destroy the residential buildings and houses once people have left them? Well, we know the answer. Absolutely not. And that's why it's genocide. It's as simple as that. Uh, who can remember back in October when uh, a bomb went off in the courtyard of a hospital, the uh, Armenian Christian hospital, I think it was. And yeah. uh, there were these denials. Israelis said, oh, no, this was Hamas or uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad fighting back. And their rocket exploded and killed all these people. Here we are four months later. And as you say, every single health facility in the Gaza Strip has either been completely destroyed 100 percent or is functioning on a life support system. I mean, it's very difficult to get up-to-date reports about what is actually functioning, but we know that the NASA hospital in Khan Yunis was invaded uh, within the last 24 hours. At least four patients in intensive care died because their oxygen supply was cut off. That was the last uh, reasonably functioning 
hospital in the entire strip. Um, where where do we go to from here? The pictures are just absolutely apocalyptic. And as you say, the Israelis have created hell on earth in Gaza, which they've been very open about their intentions to do. They've really been very open that this is a vindictive series of assaults, that they regard the Palestinians as subhuman, human animals, they've described them as, and uh, that the whole of Gaza should indeed be reduced to rubble and its population entirely displaced. Yet we still hear these awfully meek statements from Western leaders. This is, for me, as a, a Brit, a European, a citizen of a NATO country, powerful country, uh, the complicity of our leaders in this genocide, up to and including today, even now, with all this carnage, they still can't bring themselves to, to call for a ceasefire because, you know, Hamas, you know, um, did you see any Hamas fighters? Uh, earlier you said when you were at the European hospital in Khan Yunis, the battle was about a kilometre away. A battle implies there are two sides fighting. Were you aware of fighting or was it simply a case of endless aerial bombardments, bombs and sniper fire? One way traffic, in other words. In my experience, it was just endless bombs and uh, endless missiles being dropped. Um, you know, me personally, to just give an example, the patients that I personally treated were all children. I don't, I'm trying to think back. I don't think I treated anybody over 17, right? Um, anywhere oh. from two to 17 personally, right? Uh, most of the people coming in uh, were children and women and you know and grandfathers and fathers and 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 you know i that's the people that i saw that's the people that i treated um i didn't see a gunshot wound okay and I, I didn't see a single gunshot wound when i was there in my time and they're all explosive injuries they're all rubble falling on top of you or explosive injuries basically um and um you know and and i mean i i agree i mean i mean the the viciousness and efficiency of 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 Israel, I mean, the sort of killing machine that they unleashed on the people of Gaza is really unprecedented. Uh, I mean, the the weapons that, that they've used, many of them that they've not used before, from from what the uh, local doctors will told me, that they've never seen these type of injuries before. They have these special drones. One drone is called a Hellfire drone that implodes, fires off all these discs that if it doesn't kill you, it causes these very strange uh, amputations. Uh, you know, most amputations occur at the joint, like the knee or the elbow. These are above thigh uh, or mid thigh, mid arm amputations. And they have all these other missiles that they fired that the Palestinian doctors told me had these strange shrapnel injuries. When they explode, they don't kill. They will basically uh, uh, fire off shrapnel. They had these other missiles that, that when they explode, uh, they kill by incineration of by burning and and so the amount of burns that they've seen the kind that they've never seen before they believe that because of Israel's strong defense industry you know if a weapon is battle tested it has a higher value uh, when you sell it to whoever wants to buy it that's what they kind of were talking about and because they saw injuries that they've never seen before and they've been around for a long time really in you know really severe horrific injuries and i saw them too and they pointed this out look this is above this is like a groin amputation or it's it's an above knee mid thigh this is because of this that the other right that's what they told me and these are like a six-year-old like like a six-year-old which is horrific horrific to see so um, even if there's this, so we need an immediate ceasefire. Somebody has to has to stop this. Somewhere along the line, there has to be someone uh, internationally. There has to be enough international pressure to stop this. But to be honest, Basil, even if there was a complete ceasefire now, today, thousands will still die, right? Um, and uh, because because the number of amputations that I've seen, uh, bad amputations, uh, you know, are still there disease is killing them rapidly so even if we stop today thousands will still die so we have to stop and and let all humanitarian aid come into the gaza strip without impediment 
let, let all the antibiotics come in, let all the, uh, you know, because if we ethnically cleanse them into the Sinai desert, there's nothing there. It, it's, it's another concentration camp, right? And, um, and I mean, and the Palestinians themselves are, to them, even to the doctors, that's where the doctors will stay. Many of them are Irish citizens, they're Ukrainian citizens, they're Russian citizens. I mean, they've got citizenship through marriage or, or through birth or whatever. And um, they can leave, but they don't leave. The doctors stay. Um, and uh, because to them, you know, their resistance is, is, is survival of the healthcare system is a form of resistance to them. Survival alone, staying alive, is a form of resistance to them. And they will stay alive and keep people alive no matter what, even if it's hopeless. Yes, I, I'd be grateful if you could uh, tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about the nature and character of the Palestinian people, because uh, Western media invariably likes to either ignore them, ignore their voices, or sort of tar them all with some brush of uh, terrorism, or sort of generally being a, a, an awkward squad with an unpleasant religion, and so on and so forth. Uh, so please tell us about your experience of the Palestinian people themselves. You know, I've been, I've met a lot, I've had the honor and privilege of meeting a lot of people in this world with all the travel that I've done and all the humanitarian work that I've done. I'll tell you that they are, without a doubt, the most resilient, generous, steadfast people of faith that I've, I've, I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, they were generous and kind-hearted educated, thoughtful, um, you know, and, and, and very, uh, very introspective about, about what's going on. And they welcomed me and, and all the others. I mean, there was a British group of, 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 of doctors that were, uh, that were with me at the same time that I was there and they welcomed us. And, and even though they don't have a lot of food, they fed us well. Uh, it was simple food, but it, but they fed us well and just wonderful people. They're not animals. Um, they're just uh, basically one of the British doctors that I went with, um, you know, a wonderful man. I don't know where he's from in the UK. He was there at the same time. He went with a different group. And he's been a lifetime humanitarian for about 30 years. And he's worked in really bad war zones from uh, Iraq to Syria to Yemen and whatever. A wonderful man. And uh, he made a really, you know, interesting comment. Uh, he's done this longer than I have. And uh, he said that this is the only place in the world that's being de-developed. Every other country or place in the world is being developed. They're being de-developed because there's such a resourceful, intelligent civilization that's advanced despite being in a concentration camp, you know, that they're, they're actually actively being de-developed, which is nowhere in his experience that he's seen. And that was a very revealing and thoughtful comment to me. I said, you are right, because they're advanced, but every infrastructure, they're poets, they're artists, they're, uh, they're philosophers. Their uh, subspecialist doctors are all, were all targeted and killed, right, um, by the Israeli forces in this war. And uh, journalists, right, have been targeted and killed uh, in this war like, like no other battle ever in the history that, that, that we know of in such a concentrated manner. So um, just wonderful, intelligent people that don't deserve this, that deserve freedom, they deserve dignity, uh, and they deserve their right to live independently, make decisions for themselves with dignity. And so um, I don't know what is going to happen. There's a lot of things happening in the background. I'm not a politician, nor, you know, I, I just, from a humanitarian point of view, this has to stop. I don't know how many people is enough. Is a million, is losing a million people enough? Is losing, uh, you know, uh, 200,000 people enough? Like, I don't know what, what what the number is it's a really bad stain on humanity that we've come to this level where we've dehumanized a whole group of people right and um yeah i mean i i, I don't want to get philosophical but i mean uh but if you look at the west i mean we're all colonizing powers we've all colonized i mean in in, in canada in the u.s we 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 colonize the indigenous people in our land right who are the you know who are the indigenous uh, natives and, and were all colonized by by people that came from Europe and then and then later on and so, so we're a victim of that and the UK and France and Germany and Belgium Spain all these countries have done that and you, and you do that by dehumanizing a population right and um, yes. I'm glad you brought that point up because 
they're wonderful people. Like wonder, just like you and I. And also Palestinians, I'll tell you, there is uh, Palestinian Christians, Palestinian Muslims, and there's Palestinian Jews who are living in, in Israel, right? So, and people, I mean, I, I saw Palestinians who were in front of me, blonde and blue-eyed, to very dark. So it's, it's um, I mean, they're people just like you and I. I mean, they would fit right well in the UK with its, with its diverse multi-ethnic population because they all look diverse, right? You have all ranges of colors and hair colors and eye colors and and whatever, right? It's like they're normal people like you and I, who are now seeing their civilization being destroyed. Well, uh, it's coming to the UK that uh, some of the Israeli extremists want they want to turn the entire population of Gaza into refugees. Uh, one positive development today: pro-Palestinian activists have fly, filed criminal charges against Volker Beck, a former member of the German parliament, uh, the Solidarity Group's Palestine Speaks and Jewish Voice for Just Peace in the Middle East, uh, are holding him accountable um, for genocide. Uh, the Germans, of course, bizarrely, have been uh, amongst Israel's staunchest supporters at the International Court of Justice. Uh, we can only hope that justice will prevail. I would imagine that uh, South Africa's actions at the ICJ, although not conclusive, not yet anyway, uh, provided some hope uh, for the Palestinians because I fear uh, that suicide is starting to creep in. And, you know, for all their resilience, um, there's only so much people can take. I heard one very sad quote from a little girl earlier this week she said she wanted to stay in gaza now more than ever because she hates the whole world for what it has allowed to happen to people and uh, people talk about you know the second world war horrors that were going on nobody knew what was going on so on and so forth nobody can make that claim now for me this is the clearest moral divide between people who basically have a sense of common humanity and the avoidance of suffering and those who for entirely spurious and phony reasons uh, seem to glory in the bloodbath. That's the only way I can put it. Dr. Khan, over to you. We've got to go two minutes more and the floor is yours. No, I mean, um, Yes, I mean, I think, I think on, on a, I mean, we have to find some positivity in all of this and hope. Um, and I have uh, hope in the billions of people who've spoken out uh, for humanity uh, against this, um, you know, this this basic basic genocide that's been committed on on a wonderful, beautiful group of people, uh, innocent group of people uh, with women and children and men that you know, and and so. I think I'm hopeful uh, with uh, with with that, like in in the world's response. Also, um, you know, I'm hopeful in the sense that the the Palestinian people are very very resilient, and um, and so I, I hope that this is over soon and that they can return back. And then I think they will need the whole world to help them rebuild their society. So when this is over, if this is over, they'll need the whole world to help them rebuild their society. And I think we should all be ready to help them. Indeed, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. We should all help them to the fullest extent we possibly can. Dr. Khan, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Dr. Yasser Khan, uh, we'll be right back with Christian James and latest from the UK after the headlines. Don't go away.